Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star and then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Melina, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Telephone Education Workshop, and this is our seventh annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer, and this is part one, and the title of today's program is Managing the Stress of Survivorship. And today's program and today's entire series, this entire three-part series, is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care the National Cancer Institute, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And it's really that collaboration that has enabled us to reach so many of you. So we have a lot of people on the call today. We have over 2,520 people on the call today. And you come from all over the United States. You come from large cities and small cities and suburban areas, and you come from rural and frontier communities. And we also have 56 participants internationally from a lot of different countries, from Australia, American Samoa, Canada, Germany, Guam, Ireland, Italy, Japan, New Zealand, Syria, Venezuela, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world. And it's really a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us on this program. Now, I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you receive from Cancer Care. In those materials, there is an outline that our speakers have prepared, and there is information about all of the different collaborating organizations. And the fact sheets also an informational pieces about all of the sponsoring organizations. And there also, of course, um, is an evaluation form. And I would ask you to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. Because that evaluation form is very critical to us, and who but each of you can best tell us what you want us to do next year when we plan our eighth annual program. So we very much depend upon your feedback. The topics that we chose this year were topics that you suggested last year. So please do fill out those evaluation forms. We use them for many different programs, but particularly for this one. And you really give us the best feedback of the programs that would be most relevant and helpful to you. Now, today's program is made possible by uh, support from the National Cancer Institute, an Office of Cancer Survivorship, and Office of Communications and Education, and Live Strong, Lance Armstrong Foundation. And we really want to thank them for their support of this program, this series, and really these many years now that we've been offering this program. It's really been uh, an invaluable program. Now, I want to introduce um, uh, my co-moderator for today's program, Dr. Catherine Alfano, and she is Program Director and Behavioral Scientist in the Office of Cancer Survivorship at the National Cancer Institute, and she would like to give you some words of welcome as well. Dr. Alfano? Thank you very much, Carolyn, and welcome to our invited speakers and to all of you listeners who have joined us for today's workshop. It's truly an honor to be able to co-host the seventh annual Cancer Survivorship Teleconference Series, focusing on the issues faced by survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. As Carolyn noted, this is the first of the three workshops in our 2009 series. And the National Cancer Institute, represented by my office, the Office of Cancer Survivorship, and by the Office of Communications and Education, is pleased to serve once again as an organizational partner and a co-funder of this program. As some of you may know, the National Cancer Institute established the Office of Cancer Survivorship in 1996 in direct response to the articulate and compelling demand by cancer survivors and the advocacy community to better understand the unique and ongoing needs of this growing population. The overall goal of the office is to improve the length and quality of survival for all of those living with a history of cancer, which is currently estimated to be over 12 million people living in the, U in the United States alone. One of the ways that the office achieves, achieves its mission is by participating in the development of educational materials and outreach activities, such as this teleconference series that are designed to equip cancer survivors and their caregivers with the information that you need to achieve optimal health and well-being after cancer. The number of participants in this survivorship series has continued to grow over the years. 
In the past, we've had participants from over two dozen countries on our calls, making our capacity to reach those in search of information truly global. Along with our program partners, we are deeply gratified by this response. At the same time, we recognize that the popularity of this series is a testament to the fact that for many cancer survivors, even though cancer treatment is over, the cancer experience is not. The topics that we have chosen for this year's teleconference series reflect themes that for many, that many survivors, caregivers, and their healthcare providers have told us present challenges for them when survivors make the transition from treatment to recovery. Today's topic in particular, managing the stress of survivorship, is a very important one since we know that stress can affect all areas of the survivor's life as well as creating strain for families and for, memories, for members of the healthcare team. As you will hear shortly, our three outstanding speakers, all experts in stress and survivorship, will address this very important topic. Again, I'm delighted to be co-hosting this workshop with my colleague, Dr. Carolyn Messner. I'll now turn the program over to her. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Alfano, for just wonderful introductory remarks and really for setting the context for our program today. And we do have wonderful, really outstanding speakers. And our first speaker is Dr. Keith Belize. Dr. Belize is a cancer survivor. He's assistant professor of human development and family studies at the University of Connecticut. And I'm going to turn the program over to him, Dr. Belize. Well, thank you, Carolyn, for that introduction. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be on the phone today with all of you, and I, and I want to take a moment to thank Cancer Care and, and all of their partners for putting together another great program designed to help cancer survivors and their, and their families. Um, I'm often asked to speak about cancer from a researcher's point of view, and from time to time I'm asked to, to put on my cancer survivor hat and share my story as a member of this unique club. Now, this isn't a club that I wanted to join, but it's a club that I find myself a part of made up of members who have really inspired and motivated me and taught me so much about life. So how did I become a member of this club? In October of 1994, just four days shy of my 25th birthday, I was diagnosed with stage 3 testicular cancer, which spread to my lymph nodes and to both of my lungs. Three months following surgery, I received further news that really floored me. Routine follow-up tests found a golf ball-sized mass in my left kidney, which turned out to be a second cancer, kidney cancer. So within three months, I was diagnosed with two different cancers. And my treatment included three operations and, and several rounds of chemotherapy over the course of a year and a half. And as many of you on the phone today know all too well, navigating the diagnosis and, and treatment um, can be quite stressful. You know, I was diagnosed when I was 25 years old. While my friends were building their careers, purchase, purchasing their first home, getting married and having children, and I was forced to function in a strange new world, one that was filled with new faces, odd machinery, and really complicated terminology. You know, the many decisions I was making had, had serious consequences, very different from the types of decisions a 25-year-old should be making. In a strange sort of way, you know, that was the easy part of my experience with cancer. For me, the most stressful aspect of having cancer was how lost I felt when the treatment ended and the follow-up tests were completed. I so vividly recall my five-year appointment with my oncologist. After a brief exam and discussion about my blood markers and most recent CAT scan, my oncologist sat me down and proceeded to hand me a framed plaque that was engraved with the following words, Congratulations, you have successfully completed the treatment protocol for your cancer and you are now cancer-free. He said he no longer needed to see me, and I could go back to seeing my primary care physician for routine health care. He shook my hand and gave me a warm pat on the back. As I walked out into the waiting room, the nurses lined the hallway and gave me hugs and kisses as I passed them by. When I finally reached the lobby, which felt like an eternity, I was struck by this hollow pit in my stomach. I felt like someone punched me in the gut, which took all the air out of my lungs. For five years, I was looking forward to this day the day I never had to think about cancer again. I thought it was going to be the happiest day of my life. Boy, was I wrong. As much as I dreaded these follow-up appointments, I always felt a great deal of relief when the doctor told me that my cancer hasn't returned and my tests all came back normal. Who is going to tell me that everything is going to be okay? I wanted that peace of mind. So I walked back into the doctor's office and asked to see my oncologist. I told him I cannot leave like this. I told him I needed to see him once a year so that he can tell me everything is all right. And after a brief conversation and some arm twisting on my part, he agreed. 
I saw him for two more years until I moved to Washington, D.C. to pursue my career. The transition from treatment and follow-up to what some people call survivorship was the most stressful aspect of the cancer journey for me. No one told me how to get back to normal, whatever that means. No one told me about the long-term effects that I had to be aware of from the chemotherapy I received or ways in which I could lessen my risk for these complications. No one told me how to deal with fears I had about my cancer coming back, which is one of the most common concerns among cancer survivors. These were the things that caused stress in my life. I was fortunate and that my cancer experience was a catalyst for me to change my career and become a researcher in the cancer field. During my grad graduate training, I learned I was at risk for a variety of late health effects as a result of my treatment, including cardiovascular disease, stroke, and, and different pulmonary problems. I also learned that there were things within my control that could perhaps lower my risk of these late effects, such as exercise and changes in my diet. These modifications not only had the potential to lower my risk for certain late effects, but also helped to reduce the everyday stress in my life. To this day, I remain very active and eat a healthy diet because it makes me feel good and because it can lower the risk for, for some, of the problems of, um, um, some of the problems faced by, cancer, by the cancer treatment that I had. I also found simply talking to others about my concerns, particularly others with cancer, helped me manage the stress associated with cancer. You know, looking back on my experience, I realized one of the things that would have helped reduce my anxiety and stress about leaving my oncologist and going back into the community was having a treatment summary or survivorship care plan. You know, two documents that spell out the treatment I received, the possible late effects of these, these treatments, and strategies I can employ to lower these risks. These documents would have put control back in my hands without having to go back to school and learn about these things on my own. I could have provided these documents to my primary care physician so that he understood the type of care and surveillance that I needed. As some of you probably know, several professional organizations are now calling for the use of treatment summaries and survivorship care plans upon completion of treatment. And I would add my support to the potential importance of these, these documents as one of many different strategies that might help reduce stress and anxiety in individuals with cancer, in addition to other suspected benefits. I think my time is just about up, so I want to thank you again for the opportunity um, to speak with all of you today, and I, I want to wish you all the very best as you continue to navigate the, the hills and valley, valleys of cancer survivorship. And with that, I'll, I'll turn the, the program back over to Carolyn. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Belize, for an ex excellent, really outstanding um, presentation and for really um, sharing your experience and what you've learned from it and what others can learn from it as well. So we thank you very much. Um, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Um, our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Uh, Dr. Palos is really her own healthcare team. She is a... Um, uh, a nurse, she's a social worker, and she's a doctor of public health, and she's assistant professor, Division of Internal Medicine, Department of Symptom Research at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And she is going to talk about the definition of stress, how to identify stressors, ways to recognize some of the common symptoms of stress, and understand the impact of stress on your sense of well-being. Dr. Palos? Good afternoon, and thank you, Carolyn, for that introduction. I'd like to also thank Dr. Belize for that very moving experience that he gave us as a cancer survivor. He gave us a very unique and special perspective to, um, to survivorship. And I'd like to thank him and the rest of the team for all of us working together on this very exciting topic. Now, actually, our topic is a process. It's a process of managing the stress of survivorship. So um, I thought it was interesting that we had the topic, but that the topic was just not one word. It's a whole process that we live through um, as we go through survivorship. So let me begin by asking a question. Have you ever had a time when you felt your heart beating faster than usual, a time when your breathing was rapid, and suddenly you felt a sudden burst of energy? If you have, you are quite normal. The sudden change in your body may have occurred when you were excited about a situation, fearful of an experience, or worried about a certain outcome. These changes were most likely due to responses from your body that has often been called the fight-or-flight syndrome. Without doubt, if you have experienced this type of stress, you realize that your physical and emotional systems were affected by this response. In the next few moments, we're going to talk about stress and what it means. I'm going to discuss what causes stress, how to recognize it, and its effects on a person's sense of well-being. What is stress? Is there a definition of stress? Yes, 
Simply put, stress is what you feel when you have to handle more than you are used to. In our society, stress is a fact of life. Everyone experiences this emotion, children and adults, women and men. Because stress is such a personal experience, it has been said that stress is in the eye of the beholder. In our ever-changing world, it seems to be a normal part of our daily lives. This type of stress is an emotion that most everyone learns to deal with over time. So a question that often comes up is, is all stress bad? No, stress can be normal and good, such as when those emotions are used to protect you, to finish a project, or to finish, to finish a, a deadline or a desired project or, or goal that you may have. There are even positive and protective effects of stress. But there are times when stress can be not so good or turn to high stress. For example, if you experience stress that comes from different sources, such as preparing your income tax, as many are doing now, or worrying about financial issues, or having to move from one's home, we can begin to feel the effects of stress in different ways. And if one experiences stress over a period of time, it can begin to affect a person's sense of well-being. Stress is a normal reaction to a diagnosis of cancer. Stress during the cancer experience may be positive or negative. For example, survivors in active treatment may experience stress related to treatment decisions or just to travel back and forth for the appointments. For survivors, being told that you can transition from active treatment to life after treatment may result in positive stress. But at the same time, some high levels of stress may emerge as one begins to think about the future and the changes that accompany this type of change. Questions may come up such as, what am I going to do now? Can my family and I go back to what we did before? And then you heard Dr. Belize give all the examples that he experienced and the emotions he went through as he realized he had made that transition. Stress, without doubt, affects cancer survivors and their families. When cancer enters a person's life, that person and their loved ones enter an entirely new world with different emotional reactions to that experience. Those emotional reactions may be fear, anger, or uncertainty, all feelings that may contribute to stress. Managing the stress of survivorship is a challenge for survivors, families, and even for their providers. Before I continue, let me define who a cancer survivor is. And according to the National Cancer Institute Office of Cancer Survivorship, an individual is considered a cancer survivor from the time of diagnosis and through the balance of his or her life. Family members, friends, and caregivers are also impacted by the survivorship experience and are therefore included in this definition. For our discussion today, we're going to focus on people who have completed treatment and are focusing on life after treatment. Stress during the survivorship experience may evolve from a variety of sources. The sources of stress will differ depending on where a person is on the survivorship continuum. As I mentioned, today I'm going to focus on the survivor who has completed their treatment and is enjoying reaching that significant milestone. Someone who reaches this milestone usually feels relief and joy to be finished, as Dr. Belize ex expressed, with that part of their cancer journey. Yet there are some other times, types of emotions that may accompany that happiness, feelings such as worry, sadness, or nervousness. So both types of feelings, the positive and the negative, the happiness, the sadness, the anxiety, may all contribute to stress. Stress for survivors and their families may, may stem from making lifestyle changes, such as no longer having to go for those clinic visits, having the expectations that life will return to the way it was before, wondering if you're going to be able to do all those fun things you did before, experiencing changes in employment status, such as going back to work full time, or learning how to make informed decisions about your future without an entire team to help you with that decision making. Other stressors for survivors may come from concerns about determining what normal, what is normal for me now that my treatment has ended, and one of the most challenging is not knowing what will happen next. Another source of stress that can be positive or negative is gaining control of your life again. In some ways, a survivor is excited about that change, but may also be apprehensive about the consequences of their own decision-making. Stressors for family members and caregivers may also differ quite a bit from survivors, and I'll uh, go into more detail in just a moment. Now, there are several ways to recognize the symptoms of stress. One of the first things is just to know that stress will be a normal part of the cancer experience. It will be rare if a cancer survivor does not experience some type of stress. Remember, stress can be good or bad, but whatever it is, be ready for it. Expect it and know how to recognize it. It's also important to be aware that the impact of stress can influence your well-being. 
Moving to survivorship most definitely changes your life and everything in your world. And it is likely that if stress affects your world, it will affect the entire family. Your children, spouse, and family caregivers will most likely also experience stress. And the, stress of, uh, the sources of stress may differ among the individuals. For example, the caregiver may feel high stress because they're not doing all that they believe they should be doing. The children may experience stress related to guilt or fear about how the survivorship experience is affecting their family. And a spouse may have stress due to not being able to fulfill all the roles, husband, wife, father, mother, or breadwinner. Now that we know what stress is and how it affects our body, how do we recognize stress? One good strategy is to be aware of changes in your body, physical and emotional health. Growing research shows that stress may even affect our immune system, so be aware of changes in your health status. You can begin assessing yourself for symptoms of stress with a few simple steps. First, it is good to be aware of changes in your sleep patterns. Are you sleeping more or less? Are you waking up several times during the night? Second, ask yourself, have you noticed changes in your eating habits? Third, be aware of your emotional feelings. Have you been feeling more irritable, sadder, or more nervous? And do you find yourself feeling that you have more than you can handle? All of these symptoms may be indicators of high levels of stress. It is important to recognize eventually chronic stress or stress left untreated can influence your physical, psychological, and overall sense of well-being. We've discussed quite a bit about stress and its impact on your physical, emotional, and immune system. In summary, I would like to say that it would be beneficial if the survivor, family, and caregiver can talk openly and honestly about their feelings and reactions to the survivorship experience. It may be surprising to hear that more than one person is experiencing these types of symptoms. Dr. Spiegel will continue our discussion by addressing specific ways to cope and manage stress. That concludes my remarks, and I thank you for this opportunity. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Palos, um, for really an excellent presentation, for really identifying some of the issues that uh, our people are coping with here and struggling with. And our next speaker is Dr. David Spiegel. Dr. Spiegel is Wilson Professor in the School of Medicine, Associate Chair, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Stanford University School of Medicine. We're delighted that I have him with us today. Um, he's done significant research in this area, and um, I turn the program now over to Dr. Spiegel, who's actually going to cover the importance of coping with stress as part of your survivorship plan and quality of life, finding an aspect of the stress that you can do something constructive about in doing it, and stress management tips, the nuts and bolts. Dr. Um, Spiegel? Uh, thank you very much. I, I've just returned from completing my taxes, so taking care of that stress. Um, and uh, I've had the privilege of working with uh, patients with cancer for more than three decades, listening to them in support groups. And what I'll try to do is put together what I've learned about how they have learned to best cope with stress. We've heard from Dr. Belize uh, something very important, and that is that the end of treatment is actually a very stressful time. And you might, as he was surprised, many of my patients have been, but it points out something important about stress, that it is a, it's a challenge, and where it becomes overwhelming is when you don't know what you can do to meet the challenge, when, when you feel either unable or overwhelmed. And one of the problems with, with the initiation of survivorship, which should be a happy time, is that suddenly you're not doing all the things you were doing to fight the cancer. You're not meeting regularly with the docs and nurses and social workers who are helping you deal with it. You're not taking the chemo and radiotherapy, which you don't like, but which you know is doing something. So you suddenly feel more vulnerable. You feel like you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And also many cancer patients sort of postpone important emotional, financial, family issues until after they get through acute treatment. So it can be a time when they say, okay, now I've got to deal with all that. So the stresses accumulate, but the ways of responding to them don't seem to be there, and that's why it can be a very difficult time. And you've heard from Dr. Palos that there is a strong physical component to the stress reaction. And part of why stress is troublesome for us is that uh, we evolved as fairly weak uh, creatures in a very dangerous world. And most of the stressors when we early in evolution were physical. So if you saw a saber-toothed tiger, you better run fast. Most of our stressors now are psychological, and yet our body is prepared to respond physically. So you feel your muscles tense, your heart rate goes up, you start to sweat. And we're now creating a problem for ourselves because the body is acting as though the threat were physical, and most of what we're dealing with as cancer survivors are psychological problems. So how do we handle the mismatch between the physical tendency to respond and the psychological one? Um, I'd recommend a strategy that I call by the acronym FACES, F-A-C-E-S. And the first is face rather than flee. We have a tendency to want to avoid or deny that things are stressing us. 
And all that does is make it harder to figure out what to do. It makes us more immobilized. And when you feel bad, you don't quite know why you feel bad. So if you're worried about something, if you're worried about recurrence or a late effective treatment or a family problem or a health insurance problem, um, it's better to identify it, and then you can begin to figure out ways to deal with it. So focus on specific stressors rather than feeling generally overwhelmed. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, try and figure out what is it in particular that set it off. When did you start feeling overwhelmed? What news did you get or what problem were you thinking about? Uh, and in that way, you can begin to make the stressor more manageable because it's got an identity, and you can begin to think of doing something about it. The second uh, thing is, is the A in faces, alter perception. And one big example of that is learn to think in more or less rather than all or none terms. As many of you have known, there was a time in your life when you never thought you'd have cancer. And then it, when you were given the diagnosis, you may have thought, oh, my God, my life is over. Well, the good news is that cancer treatment has gotten so much better that most of us who are diagnosed with cancer will live to die of something else. But everybody thinks their life is over, and gradually what you learn to see is that your life is different. Um, in many ways, it can be better, uh, but it's a, it's a more or less not an all-or-none situation. And if you can reconceptualize the problem, the stressor you're facing, in more or less terms rather than all-or-none terms, you'll be able to handle it much better. The third is C in FACES is cope actively. Find something active you can do about whatever the problem is. You may not be able to make it go away, but you can usually find some aspect of it you can do something about. And just formulating a, an action plan and being able to do something about a stressor makes you feel less helpless. It makes you feel more in charge and less like the stress is victimizing you and more like you are figuring out a way to survive the stress. So find a way to cope actively. Uh, the fourth letter, E, is express emotion. And you heard um, uh, from uh, Dr. Palos uh, that it's important to, to recognize, identify, and, and, and express emotions that you have. There's a lot in the popular literature about the idea that you're just supposed to put on a happy face. One of my cancer patients started to cry, and her husband said, don't cry, you'll make the cancer spread. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It is not the case that you you can or should put on a happy face all the time. There are times when you're diagnosed with cancer, you're getting treatment, you're worried about it, that you should feel angry, sad, or fearful. And those emotions are there for a reason. They're there to tell us we're dealing with something important, and, and therefore they're useful. It's, it's a way of getting you to pay attention to what matters. And sharing those emotions appropriately can bring people together in supporting you, just as you have seen when other people are open about how they feel. Uh, hearing Dr. Belize talk about his emotional reaction uh, when his treatment was over draws you to him. It doesn't push you away. So it's an opportunity to build social support as well, and that's the fifth letter, seek social support. Um, uh, we are social creatures, and one of the unfortunate things about cancer, and it's a lot better due to the work of many of the groups that are sponsoring this conference and others, uh, it, it, there's, people no longer feel ashamed about having cancer. It's not a terrible secret. Nonetheless, many people find that some friends and family just drift away. They don't know how to deal with it. And having cancer and entering the period of survivorship is a good time to build new networks of social support. And I've seen support groups provide wonderful help to, uh, to cancer patients, both because they give as well as receive help. They use their experience in having cancer to teach others how to cope better. So something genuinely good comes out of a bad situation. Um, and we all thrive when we have the kind of social support that lets us feel what we feel and deal with what we have to deal with. So um, in summary, the way I think uh, to handle these stressors is to face them directly, alter your perception and understanding of them, cope actively, express emotion, and seek social support. Uh, as a psychiatrist, I need to also say that there's a minority of people uh, for whom the stress moves on to significant, clinically significant anxiety or depression. If, if your feelings begin to go beyond just the stress of survivorship to feeling hopeless, helpless, and worthless, to having thoughts of harming yourself, that's a time when professional help is important to get uh, because we have very good treatments, both psychotherapies and medication, that can help people deal with more serious anxiety and depression. But the vast majority of cancer survivors will be able to thrive in their survivorship uh, if they can face and deal with these stressors as they come. So I'll stop with that. 
Well, I thank you very much, Dr. Spiegel, really excellent, and leaving us with some wonderful tips and suggestions and um, to, to really implement. And now we um, have uh, lots of time for questions. I want to thank our speakers for staying exactly on time. So we have a lot of time for questions. I'm going to ask uh, Melina to bring all of our speakers on board and to also please um, explain to our audience how to queue up for questions. And we're going to take uh, one question at a time, and we'll try to take as many of your questions as possible. And if we do not get your question, because, of course, you're a very large group, please do call Cancer Care at the end of the program, 1-800-813-HOPE, and I'll repeat that number throughout, and you have it in your materials, if you don't get to ask your question. But let's see how many we can take now. Melina? Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press the one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from Jennifer. Hi, um, I'd like to address this question to all the doctors, um, as well as the representative from Cancer Care. I was particularly moved by Dr. Belize's um, summary of his experience. And with all of the different agencies that are in place, why at this time is there not a treatment summary and a next steps survivor plan that's given to every single patient and their family? Well, Jennifer, that's an excellent question. Um, I'm going to ask Dr. Belize to start first. Well, I think several, as I mentioned in, in, in my talk, several organizations, several professional organizations are now um, pushing for the use of treatment plans and, and survivorship care plans, but it's going to take time to implement. I think a couple of questions need to be answered first. I mean, what, what do these treatment plans look like? Um, what are some of the follow-up care guidelines for specific cancers? And then how could we get physicians uh, or oncologists more specifically to implement them in their daily practice? Um, so I think there's still some unanswered questions that, that need to be addressed. But I think we're moving in the right direction. And I think over the probably the, over the course of the next few years, we will see that um, more standardized. Excellent. Dr. Spiegel, could you comment? Um, well, I think, you know, uh, part of the I, – I think we all agree that it's a necessary thing. I think part of why it has not happened is that we have a very badly organized, fragmented um, healthcare delivery system in the United States. And so things that naturally make sense have had to be brought in, in bits and pieces. We don't have an organized information technology base for our healthcare system. We don't have standard frameworks for – uh, assessing long-term treatment. I mean, we, we know it. We know the science, but we have not translated it into service delivery. And I frankly think it's a system of our fragmented, very badly managed healthcare system in the United States. And if we had a system in which everybody's health was taken into account, in which there weren't 45 million uninsured, in which there weren't, you know, hundreds of insurance companies, each requiring different things and providing different frameworks and formats for care, we might be able to implement it much quicker. So I think part of the problem is bigger than just cancer and just survivorship, but the way we organize health care in this country. I'd like to add to that, too. I just, um, there, are, there is, I completely agree, um, there is a fragmented health care delivery system, and the other is that change takes time. But I also want to remind people that advocacy is very important. We have seen tremendous changes that start at the grassroots level, and then it makes a change in our policies. Um, for example, uh, mammogram screening, cervical cancer screening uh, from grassroots levels, we now have changes in policies, and we see that now that uh, a lot of people are able to have access to those services who didn't before. So I would encourage the survivors and their families and their friends to, to advocate and, you know, speak to your own physicians. Um, they don't have to all be oncologists. It can be your primary physician and start the word. I, I think that's the way um, things, that change will happen, you know, and especially um, when we have the voices united and, you know, that we're all striving for a common goal, that really makes an impact on our policy measures. Dr. Alfano, did you want to comment as well? I do. Thank you. One of the other issues, uh, unfortunately, that's involved in this is, is reimbursement by insurance companies for developing a treatment summary. That it, for some healthcare systems where there aren't, for example, electronic medical records, someone has to sit there and go through someone's chart and write down an awful lot of information, and that takes a lot of time. So I would echo Dr. Palis's, um comments about advocacy. 
being very important. So we definitely all have our work cut out for us. We do actually want to encourage everybody on the call now to think about this with your treating healthcare team to really identify what your treatments were, what some of the long-term side effects might be that you can then take to your treating team um, and really to begin that process. And I think, as Dr. Palos has said, the issue of really, you know, we want to advocate on many different levels. Um, and we also want um, each of you to also advocate for yourselves, but knowing that you have the full support of all these, all of us on this call and all of the organizations also are now advocating that this um, be put in place. So, Jennifer, that was an excellent first question. Thank you, and I hope you help, this helped you and everybody else on the call. Our next question, please. We'll proceed to the next question from Jennifer. Uh, yes, my question is, um, what do you think about any of the meditation techniques like yoga and Reiki and even acupuncture? Um, yeah, I'd be glad. I, I run the Stanford Center for Integrative Medicine, uh, and uh, I think many of these techniques uh, can be extremely helpful, and, and we, we offer them here at Stanford, and they're offered widely around the country. Um, I think the, many of the issues here, part of the, the sort of movement and mindfulness ones, the yoga approaches, take the fact that there's physiological arousal and stress and teach you to do gentle physical movements and couple them with your mental state in a way that I think does put you in a better position to manage stress, both physically as well as psychologically. And clearly one of the things that mindfulness and yoga and these other techniques do is they teach you to self-soothe, to, to even if you are stressed, to not be stressed 24-7, but to say to make it more an acute stress where you deal with the problem and then have a way to soothe and calm yourself. And to see uh, one of the mindfulness ideas is that you, you sort of watch your emotions pass by like a storm going by, and you, you, you don't struggle with them, you just let them happen. And that becomes a way of not further compounding the stress of whatever your reaction to the stress is. So you deal with the stressor rather than having to deal so much with the reaction to it. Uh, acupuncture can be useful primarily for pain control. Uh, it's a very effective technique for many kinds of chronic pain, and many cancer survivors still suffer with some pain related to their illness. Uh, some people find acupuncture induces some relaxation as well. But there's a growing appetite and interest in many of these alternative techniques, and they're very helpful to complement regular medical care and help people deal with stress, anxiety, and pain. Excellent. Thank you. All right, our next question, please. Our next question comes from Denise Kay. Yes, thank you. Um, my question is sort of a follow-on to the first question about uh, treatment summaries and survivorship care plans. Um, in, uh, in order to start uh, advocating, uh, is there somewhere that we as a survivor can go um, where there is a template uh, for a, a typical quote-unquote treatment summary or survivorship care plan that we could uh, even bring to our uh, provider and, you know, in order to get the ball rolling here, could, could this be completed for me? Maybe, um, I don't know if I have never looked for them on the Internet. I'm just thinking about it now, but maybe the panel has some suggestions. That's an excellent uh, question, Denise. Thank you. Um, Dr. Bolivi, could you address that? Well, one of the organizations that you could go to, they, you can go to their website, is, the, is ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology. And on their website, you will find a generic template that you could use, that you could print off and bring with you to, um, to, your, to your appointments and have um, your oncologist or his staff, his or her staff, begin to complete that for you. But that's an important point. We don't necessarily need to wait until these uh, documents are being used in, in everyday practice. There's no reason why um, individuals ca uh, cannot empower themselves and bring these documents you know, with them to their appointments and have physicians fill them out. But I would start, I would start uh, at the ASCO website, ASCO website, and if you're interested, you could download the generic template from, from their website. I'd also like to add that I was just on the Office of Cancer Survivorship website, and they also had a generic um, template there in that area. So you could also go to 
Uh, I believe that may have been given as one of your resources on, on your uh, packet. So, and they give a lot of good information about survivorship and, and some of the things that you can do. So that's a, a nice area to go to and get more information. Thank you. And Dr. Alfano, do you want to comment further on that? Well, I would just echo thanks, Dr. Palos, for pointing to folks to our website um, and also Dr. Belisi's comment about the ASCO website. I, I just went there on behalf of my aunt the other day and checked out their templates, so I've personally seen them, and I think they can be really useful. So, um, Denise and everybody else on the call, we actually did um, a, a last year a program on this topic, and so they are um, – uh, that program is actually on telephone replay as well as um, archived on our website as a podcast. Um, it was really about the importance of treatment plans and treatment summaries so that that might also give you just a whole summary of that. But I can see that this is still a very important topic and one that um, I'm delighted to see so many of you are interested in because it really does make a tremendous difference in terms of your having that information. So thank you. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Richard uh, first, I wanted to thank everybody for addressing this important topic of stress management, uh, which is at every phase and step of the cancer journey. Uh, and it's usually not a priority at uh, the major cancer centers. My question really is, uh, what can we uh, survivors, uh, I was my wife's caregiver, uh, and those of us in the oncology field to change the way care is provided to a more holistic model where the psychosocial uh, is uh, addressed. Uh, and the reality, and let's get real, is that healthcare providers don't have the time, many don't have the training uh, or the personality to be empathic, to listen, to be present uh, for the patient and the family in order to talk about all their fears and all their worries and all the stresses that they have. I think it's an excellent question. Yeah, uh, maybe I can respond, uh, yes, Richard. Uh, you know, I very much appreciate what you're saying. I think it is very much the case. You know, the, the average amount of time doctors have to see patients is, you know, seven minutes now and going down. And, you know, part of the problem is a problem with our whole healthcare system, that, that um, we spend more money on overhead and insurance companies than we do on doctors in our current healthcare system in the U.S. We spend almost three times as much on overhead as Canadians do who have very good healthcare. So part of the problem is that we are wasting money and resources in a disorganized healthcare system that don't allow doctors to have the time to have those important and compassionate discussions with patients and their families. And, and I think we need advocacy to do something about that. Part of it is that we haven't recognized that, that medicine is a profession, not, not just uh, a science designed to, to, to cure. It's a, it's a profession where the oldest adage is to cure rarely, relieve suffering often, and comfort always. And we've lost that, unfortunately. And I think many patients and their families, in insisting that they deserve this kind of compassionate care, are a kind of wake-up call that we need to remind everybody that medicine is about helping people live as well as they can, as long as they can, with whatever illness they have. So I encourage patients to insist that they get the kind of support they need. Some of it will come from healthcare itself. Some will come from the kinds of organizations that have supported this call and others that provide group and uh, home-like support for cancer patients and their families. But it, because the mind and the body happen to be connected, because stress, as you've heard, has physical as well as psychological consequences, we're not giving decent care if we don't provide people with the emotional support as well as the chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and surgery that they need. If I could just jump in here, too. Last year, the Institute of Medicine put out a report called Cancer Care for the Whole Patient. And in that report, this panel of experts concluded that what is needed is a system to screen every survivor for the different kinds of needs that they have, including stress, and then basically triage and, you know, point that person to the services that they need and then follow up to make sure that they got the services and that the services worked or tweak the system and refer to a different service that's needed. Because like Dr. Spiegel said, it's not going to be the, the treating oncologist who's going to be able to sit down and, and deal with every single need. So in terms of what you can do, it's advocate for that system. 
I would just like to follow up on both comments. Just remember that if the physician doesn't have time, there's also another a whole team behind that physician. There's the nurses, there's the social workers, um, there's chaplaincy services, there's all types of other services. So one thing you might be able to do as the caregiver is try to find out initially what's there. One of the things that patients uh, come back and say are the caregivers, gosh, I wish I had known that service was there, or I wish I had known we could have done that. So at the beginning when you're going through all of this, it might be a good idea to just ask what services are available. And, and then that's where the self-advocacy comes in, where you go out and start looking for these services on your own, so that way you'll have that. And then we are getting so um, resource-oriented. There are so many resources online that you can go to. We have the Cancer Care that also offers the telephone support. So there are other ways that you can do this if you don't get it through um, your primary physician or your oncologist. I might add that support groups are a tremendous source of help and emotional support, and experienced patients are an untapped reservoir of great experience in dealing with cancer. And so if you can find someone with a similar illness who's been through treatment, they can often point you to uh, great resources of support. And you actually make an excellent point that for many people, um, many people find that joining a support group either on the telephone or online or in their community um, it's just a great source of support um, to talk to other people. Um, a survivor support group can be very valuable. The insights of other people in that group um, that are professionally run can be very helpful to people. Um, yes. So as Dr. Spiegel says, it's an untapped resource often that isn't you know, sufficiently used. Okay, well, thank you. Our next question then. Our next question comes from Polly. Hello. I think you would agree that there are different degrees of stress. Um, I particularly um, have advanced cancer in two places, live alone, and don't have family, um, and it had, has been suggested uh, how many more years I have left. With that in mind, do you, um, would your feedback be, just live your life or um, uh, plan a, a good death or uh, it's just different than deep breathing or yoga or something. Is this eminent material to well, deal with? Well, it's a very touching question, and uh, I would hope certainly that, you know, oddly enough, um, the, the more we think about limitations on life, the more important the future becomes. And so I would encourage you, given the situation you're in, to do everything you can to create a kind of network of support, to find, to think about what are the things that matter to you the most and how can you live whatever time you have left as richly and as fully as you can. Uh, I think it's a time not to give up, but rather to recognize what you need and figure out a way to get it. And so if you don't have family, then try and find a network of friends and other kinds of support um, that can enrich your life and help you cope with it because this is not something that anybody should have to face on their own. So I hope you will be able to find good support and live your life as fully as you can. And, Polly, I, uh, this is Carolyn Messner from Cancer Care. I would like to actually speak with you after the call and see if we can link you up to some really helpful resources and support um, in addition to any support that you have already, but just to really link you up to all the services that um, are available for you. I think as Dr. Spiegel says, we don't want you to have to cope with this by yourself. We do want you to have a real support mechanism for you. Um, so that's very important and very important that you've raised this issue. Thank you. Our next question. Our next question comes from Wendy. Um, Speaking not as someone who has uh, been diagnosed with cancer, but working in a not-for-profit dealing with all types of cancer and trying to help people to transition to a new normal after treatment, we offer um, um, a workshop around that. But what we've found is that it would be wonderful to be able to reach family members, caregivers, before a person starts treatment so that they can have a better idea of how they can be supportive and what they can do because um, we tried to run the workshop afterwards for family, but if they weren't supportive while the person was going through treatment or didn't know how to help, there's a lot of feelings 
that the person who's been through cancer has that are, are can be quite difficult for them to And Wendy, did you have a question with. for our speakers? Well, I was wondering yeah. whether there's any... Um, any workshops or anybody has a program that really reaches out to the caregivers? Thank you, Wendy. Well, uh, you know, I don't know of any specific program, but I, you raise a very good point about how people deal with stress, uh, and, and there are two issues here. One is that the way you start dealing with it tends to become habitual. And so if you start out well, you'll tend to deal with it well. If you start out badly, you may continue that way. You know, initially when the stressor comes, you make your decisions about how you're going to handle it, and then after a while you stop thinking about it. So I think you're right that if we can help people to see what's coming, and I think there are now more resources on the Internet and in various uh, support programs for cancer patients and their families to help them cope with it. But I think the other side is that, Caregivers have tremendous stressors, too, and their challenge is not just to give help to the cancer patient, which is important, but also to be able to live their own lives, handle their own stress, maintain their own health, uh, deal with their own fears about their loved one. And I think one of, the, one of the important issues and programs that I've found helpful is improving communication between cancer patients and their caregivers. And because a typical problem that will happen is the cancer patient will say, as you implied, um, you know, my husband just doesn't get it. You know, he's just, he just, he fixes things around the house. He doesn't listen. And sometimes there are, I've known a, man, a, a couple of men like that. But very often they don't really want to ask for help because they feel embarrassed. They feel like I should be able to do this all just the way I did before. So they don't communicate clearly what they want. Their husband doesn't get it. And then both sides are unsatisfied. So sometimes improving communication about what you want between the patient and the caregiver can be very helpful. I totally agree with Dr. Spiegel on that. I think what happens many times is the attention gets focused so much on the patient that we tend to forget the caregiver and the, and, um, the, the experiences they're going through. And we know um, that caregivers' health is going to income, I mean, it's going to impact patient outcomes a lot of times. So what we tend to do, I think that the model we tend to use right now is to be reactive instead of proactive. So the idea of doing something at the beginning um, and one of, it's very good. And one of the things is, is that people have learned to deal with stress. They already have that pattern of dealing with stress under normal circumstances. So either they dealt with that stress well or they didn't deal with that stress well. So giving them some education at the beginning may help them to understand and, and be a bit better prepared. And then that's also a nice way for the healthcare team to find out, okay, how does this family react to stress? And what are some of the things that we can do to support them as they begin this journey? Instead of being in the middle of the journey, then all of a sudden everybody starts getting reactive about how to try to help the, the patient and the caregiver and the whole family. And, you know, we can provide the information in many different ways. And I wonder if Dr. Alfano could comment on the materials that you have produced from the Office of Cancer Survivorship, the Facing Forward series for survivors, for caregivers themselves, that actually help with people understanding these concepts more in a written form. Right, exactly. Thank you. The, the Facing Forward series that I know you, you got links to and, and information about in your materials is a great, a great resource, and we developed it in part specifically for this purpose, so I would definitely encourage you to go there. And secondly, I wanted to point out that our third workshop in this year's series on June 23rd is going to be devoted to, to um, caregivers, who we call Survivors too, Family, Friends, and Loved Ones. So that will be an, an excellent uh, three-part talk devoted to caregiving. And thank you for mentioning that because actually um, we started it last year and it was so popular that we decided to have it. Everybody said we want to have it again this year. So we are including in this series a focus on caregivers as well. So, okay, thank you. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Jerry J. Thank you. Um, Dr. Spiegel, do you have any favorite books that you recommend to patients? I don't know if you can really recommend, but I often have a request from people that want a simple tool to take home with them. Well, I can mention I've, I've written a book called Living Beyond Limits um, that uh, is one, one example that um, I try to help people deal with the stresses of ongoing cancer survivorship. Um, uh, there's another one, I think, Living Through Breast Cancer, um, uh, that can be very helpful. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. There are a number of books on mindfulness 
that can be helpful in stress management by John Kabat-Zinn. I think one of them is called Wherever You Go, There You Are. Um, and uh, there are a number of others uh, that, that can help people just learn those sorts of approaches. So I hope some of those would be helpful to you. And do any of our other speakers want to just comment on books that they find helpful to recommend or things for people to read? Well, what I, I usually try to do is um, it's so hard to get copies of books all the time. I try to find resources online. And the first places I go to are usually Cancer Care, the Office of Cancer Survivorship or the, um, the National Cancer Institute um, and the Coalition of Cancer Survivorship. Um, I think I may have twisted that a bit. But they, they also have like real simple fact sheets or um, simple ways. Um, they're well written. They have graphics in there sometimes. So those are some other ways that you can get some material. Well, that's an excellent idea to get things online from all the different organizations that uh, the Lance Armstrong Foundation has materials, um, all the different groups, the Intercultural Cancer Council, um, the National um, Cancer Institute, uh, Office of Cancer Survivorship, um, Cancer Care, National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. So all these different groups, uh, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, do have materials that you can get online that can be incredibly helpful. Excellent and suggestion. they have them in different languages. That's the other nice piece about that. Excellent. Okay, our next question. These are really wonderful questions. What a great audience we have today. Our next question comes from Pauline D. I would like to know what are some of the best ways to handle acute stress besides medication? Okay, thank you, Pauline. Dr. Um, Spiegel? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are uh, one, one simple way that I have not yet mentioned is, is learning self-hypnosis. It's actually hypnosis is just a form of highly focused attention like when the experience you have when you get so caught up in a good movie that you forget you're watching a movie and you enter the imagined world. And it can be used to just imagine your body is somewhere safe and comfortable and you can approach stressors in a different way. Uh, people have mentioned mindfulness-based stress reduction. Uh, there are, they are taught in classes where you learn how to focus on just relating to your body, breathing, um, uh, checking out different parts of your body and letting your emotions just kind of flow by. So there are various kinds of psychological stress management strategies that can help even people with rather extreme kinds of stress to manage their own reaction to the stress and figure ways of more actively coping with the stressors. Excellent. Well, I want to thank... Um, I know we could go on all afternoon, but I actually want to thank all of our speakers just for just really um, presenting really wonderful material and answering all these wonderful questions. I want to thank all of you who have queued up and asked such uh, well-informed and excellent questions as well. Um, and I want to thank all of you who have been listening. And I want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour education program and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one-hour program. And because of that, we plan this program so that we do it in collaboration with all the organizations that, um, that are on this, on this call today that um, are collaborated and so that you can actually have them as a resource. In the conclusion, I just want to review with you the services that you can access from Cancer Care for free. And all of the organizations that actually are on this call today, all of their resources are free as well. Um, Cancer Care has a staff of 60 master's level trained oncology social workers, and we're here to provide a host of services from practical and financial assistance to counseling both on the telephone online um, to uh, various telephone education workshops, publications and fact sheets, um, and also just being a place to call for help and support and just for resource information as well. Um, most importantly, when you think of a program like this, um, with so many people on the call today from all over the country and the, United, and the world, actually, um, we want you to know that we don't want anyone to leave this call feeling that you're alone. We want you to know that you're now part of a community of support and that all of us are here for you, and that we're simply a telephone call or a website away. Um, and that's really important to know, or a mouse click or email address away. We really want you to take advantage of that. I also want to actually just put another plug in for you all to complete the evaluation forms. I cannot stress how important they are to us um, so that we pick programs that are most relevant to meet your needs. Um, and even your comments from today's program will help us with the one that's coming up in another month and, and also for the whole series. So you may make a comment and ask us to do something we may be able to incorporate into our future programs. I do want to remind you that this is part one of a three-part series. And so um, actually there is another part coming up, part two, on May 19th, the importance of nutrition and physical activity. 
And then part three, June 23rd, Survivors 2, which is really for caregivers, family, friends, and loved one managing the fatigue of caregiving. So we have two more to go, and um, we hope that you will participate in those other programs as well. Many of you have signed up for them. And I want to thank you all for participating. And again, I want to just say that we are with you every step of the way. And as Polly had mentioned, we don't want anyone to feel alone. Um, on this teleconference, on this program. We want you to know that you're part of a support system here and that you can call us and take advantage of all the free services that we offer um, so that um, even though the call may end, the services will continue for all of you as you contact us and ask for that help. Again, I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day.